Hello and welcome to the Learn Chinese Insights podcast brought to you by ChineseLearnOnline.com, your progressive online Mandarin course. In each episode, we interview someone who has learned Chinese as a second language. We find out how they learned it and what they're doing with it now. I'm happy to have with me on this episode, Wesley Holzer. Hi, how's it going? Oh, very good. So before we get started, Wesley, can you just give a quick introduction of yourself in Chinese, and then we'll go from there. Okay, so uh, you mentioned that uh, you're based in California now, and then you spent uh, seven years in Taiwan? Uh, more or less, I don't remember the exact number, but yeah, something yeah. like that. Sure. Okay, so let's start uh, before that. Uh, what got you interested in, in Chinese in the first place? You know, that's the golden question, and everyone loves to ask it, and I still don't have an answer. Um, I mean, everyone is curious why Chinese. I have no idea. Uh, my high school offered it, but I was interested in it even before that, and um why I started learning, I think, is kind of not even that important at this point. Uh, the point is I did start learning, and I kept learning, and I got very enthusiastic about it. I just fell in love with everything culturally Chinese, Chinese history, um, kind of uh, modern society, pop culture. I love all of it. And so I don't know why I started in this direction, but I did, and I just kept going, and that's where I am today. So before you started learning Chinese, had you learned any other languages? Like on the side? Uh, Spanish, is, Spanish is mandatory for uh, California uh, high schools, I guess. But um, the funny thing is I actually did very poorly in Spanish. Um, I thought I had a, a, a problem learning languages because my Spanish was so bad. Um, and today I still tell people that I think Chinese is easier hmm. than Spanish. At least for me it was. <clears throat> and exactly why, I'm not sure. I recognize that there's a difficulty in learning Chinese uh, because it's very, very alien to native uh, European language speakers. But it doesn't necessarily mean that other European languages are easy for us either. So I just, for some reason, I had a mental block that prevented me from really learning Spanish well. And I did not have that block when it came to Chinese, oddly enough. Do you think part of that is also the motivation? Because you mentioned that you got interested in everything Chinese, so also the cultural aspects and whatnot, whereas maybe you didn't have that same interest with Spanish? Um, I would say that's probably one aspect. I know that my high school teachers, they didn't focus so much on the cultural aspects of learning Spanish. They never told me that you can communicate with one-fifth or one-fourth of the world population, and that's very exciting. They never talked about how you could travel to basically anywhere in South America, maybe except for Brazil and a few other small countries, uh, to Spain, or that you could watch all of the media that comes out of the Spanish-speaking world. And if they had emphasized that, I think I probably would have been much more invested in learning Spanish, uh, but I was not. And um, I think the other thing was that I was just very young and mm. uh, didn't really know what was involved in learning a language and kind of didn't really want to put up with the, the harder parts of it. I mean, any language can be difficult because you have to memorize, you have to practice. And for me in middle school and high school, I just wasn't very interested in that. Um, it was something I did. I did the amount of homework I had to do. 
I uh, did okay on my tests, but I never really got into the language outside of that. And um, I have to give a lot of credit to my first Chinese teacher because she just threw all of the media at us. She made us learn Chinese songs, um, but we didn't have to sing in class. And that was really big because it was so embarrassing to sing in front of the class. Uh, they did try to do that in Spanish, and it backfired. It made me like Spanish less. But my Chinese teacher also showed us videos. Um, we read about history, and all of that just built this whole sense of it wasn't just learning a language, it was learning an entire culture. So maybe if those two teachers had been swapped, uh, you wouldn't have any interest in Chinese and you'd be all in on Spanish. Um, you know, it's possible. It is possible. But um, I actually I did have an interest in Chinese from the beginning because... Chinese characters are just something that really, I mean, that is the real thing, the number one thing that just drove me to, out of curiosity to start learning because it didn't make sense to me how you can have one character with all that meaning. And when you combine them, you just, it, it's crazy when you get four characters in a row with like, um, Chengdu, hmm. or even if it's not Chengdu, just when you have a series of characters together, you can make very brief, but very meaningful sentences. And that was fascinating. Hmm. So outside of class, did you have any place you could use the Chinese that you were learning? In the beginning, no. And actually, I would really strongly encourage anybody who is um, learning Chinese to try and find those opportunities. And I have to tell you, it's very difficult to find them in your home area or country in most circumstances. I'm from Los Angeles, which is we have a huge number of Chinese speakers, but I didn't know where to find them, and it's really awkward to just go into a Chinese restaurant and presume that the people who work there, A, speak Mandarin, and B, want to speak Mandarin with you. Hmm. And so I never really had the um, the, the, the gall, mm -hmm. <laughs> the courage to go do that. Um, and so one of the best decisions I ever made in my life was to go study abroad. Hmm. Okay. So that's what brought you to Taiwan? Yeah, that was the that was the very first time I went to Taiwan. I had when I went and studied abroad, I had only been out of the country once. Uh and I think this is probably a common theme among Americans who don't really like to go overseas as much in in, in terms of percent of population, I think. Um the number I heard most recently was about a third of Americans have passports, so that gives you an idea. Right. Um and at that point I had only visited I visited China once. I had gone to Beijing and Shanghai and I think Xi'an and um I thought it was cool, and I got an opportunity to study abroad in Taipei, and I was—I absolutely took it. And you realize when you study abroad that there are a lot of things that you will never learn in a classroom, ever. Like what? Uh, different ways people say things and natural speech. So we learn this sort of um, hard, uh, brittle, inflexible speech that nobody really says in real life so okay random example uh, off the top of my head if i say if if, if i say xie xie, mm -hmm. what would how would you thank me right so that's the most basic way to do it and people do say that but there's another super 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 common way to say it in taiwan which is or right 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 yeah there's all that so I, we've already named three right here right mm -hmm. and usually in class you would only learn bukachi Hmm. Um, and so how do you expose yourself to these different ways to express the same idea? Uh, you're never going to learn that in class. And even if you watch TV and movies, they're scripted. So you might not necessarily hear all of the different ways that you can express something. Hmm. And 
And so that example is a, is a simple one. But let's say you want to use Chinese in your profession in the future. Uh, what if you have a meeting with someone and you say, xie, and they say, hmm. and you've never heard that before. So yeah. you say, <laughs> what, what are you pointing? I don't know. Right, right. Um, and so that's, that's something I think that's very necessary to make yourself a well-rounded speaker is to at least be able to understand what other people are saying when they use the non-traditional or non-textbook way of saying something. Mm, right. And in, in a lot of cases, in fact, now that I think about it, the non-traditional way is actually the more common way, right? Absolutely. Because, you know, the, the people who write textbooks, they they want to give you um, sort of the the most, uh, what would you say, uh, proper, I guess, way of saying it. Um, just like English textbooks would say um, something like, hello, how are you? Which is, of course, proper. Yeah. It's, that's not wrong at all. But in real life, few people say that. We might say something like, what's up? Right. Or what's going on? But those aren't going to show up in a textbook. Right. That's interesting. So when you first got to Taiwan, what did you do here job-wise? Uh, well, my first time was during college. I went and I studied for three and a half months at uh, 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 the ICLP. Mm -hmm. I totally forgot what that acronym stands for. But um, it was a very good program, and I found it very helpful. Um, but what was also helpful was learning out on the street by talking to people, ordering food, um, watching TV, and getting confused all the time. Hmm. Um, and then when I came back to Taiwan, the main motivating factor for me was I had just graduated with a degree in Chinese from a U.S. university, and my Chinese was okay. I could have conversations. But if you wanted me to try and go negotiate a business deal in Chinese, that would never happen. It would hmm. not be possible. And so I decided I desperately needed to get back to a Chinese-speaking region and um, sort of uh, uh, <laughs> um, hmm. I guess uh, fill in the gaps. That's what we can call it. Fill in the gaps in in my sort of learning process. And I did that by just getting a random English teaching job in Taiwan, which was the easiest to find. Mm -hmm. I didn't love the job, but that wasn't really why I was there. Mm hmm. I see. So at this point, where you mentioned you did a degree in in Chinese, uh, did you have any idea at that point, like what you wanted to do career-wise with this? Oh, I'm just not, I'm I'm not sure. I even at this point, I have an idea what I want to do career-wise, <laughs> and it's been like six or seven years. But um, no, I just the first priority was just to learn it well because I I don't like doing something part way and then not finishing mm -hmm. it. Okay. Um, so I stayed in Taiwan a while, and I worked in a few different jobs, an office environment translating. Um, more recently, I worked in news. I was working for Taiwanese news organizations, translating and uh, doing reports in English and editing. Um, and I also, um, I don't want to say it was to improve my Chinese, but mm. one thing that did improve my Chinese really, really quickly was going to a graduate program in Taiwan. Oh, Okay. So what, what field was that? It was actually in translation, which is a very strange thing to get a graduate degree in, I know. But um, it, translation was something that I learned that I actually quite liked. Um, it's not as simple as saying I speak Chinese and I speak English so I can translate. Mm. Uh, there are definitely certain skills to learn. And when I look back on it and I, and I look at some of my early translations from when my Chinese was pretty good, but I hadn't gone through this training yet, they're terrible. It's really awful. I'm just I'm just translating stuff 
you, what we you know, what people usually call literal translations. Mm. And sometimes those are good, but sometimes those are terrible. And um, the program taught me a lot about culture, I think, because you learn that sometimes you need to make some cultural sort of adjustments mm. in translation. Um, and also, of course, it brought my Chinese up to a very high level because I had to operate in an academic environment using Chinese. If I didn't, I would not pass my classes. Hmm. So when you were in this course, were your fellow students, were they local Taiwanese or were they foreigners? Um, almost everybody was a local Taiwanese person. Um, you know, Taiwan is not, uh, how do I say it nicely, the most international place on the planet. <laughs> um, there's not a huge student body that is doing degrees who are not from Taiwan originally. Mm. Um and, you know, I, I really, I kind of, it was very nice to have local classmates, though, because sometimes you're learning Chinese, you might have a ton of local friends, uh, even local family, but you don't want to harass them with all of these language questions, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to be sitting down to dinner with friends and you say, hey, can you explain to me the difference between these two ways of saying something? And, you know, that's a great way to lose friends. And a lot of times so, they, they can't even answer that, right? That is true. Definitely a lot of people have uh, very, you know, they speak the language fine, but they've never put much thought into the mechanics behind it. Just like I can drive a car, but I can't tell you how how it works or why the gas pedal makes the car move forward. Sure. And a lot of people speaking language are that way, too. Yeah, it, that's, um, just, so, that's just how it going, is, right? Right. So going into grad school... And um, getting a chance to really talk at length with other people who were very interested academically in language was just a huge help because we got to discuss some of the weirder things about Chinese and some of the weirder things about English, too. Hmm. So did they, did your fellow classmates, did they treat you like just anybody else or were you treated differently as being the foreigner? You're treated differently to a degree. I mean, that's kind of inevitable, isn't it? Uh, you, you, I mean, if you look not local, people know that you're not local. Um, and there's not much that can be done about that. But um, I do have to say, uh, kind of off topic, before I get back to that, though, um, there is a sort of uh, aura mm-hmm. that foreigners who have lived in Taiwan a long time give off, I think. And it makes local Taiwanese people treat you much more locally. And I don't know what it is. Um, I've theorized that it might be haircuts or clothing or even just demeanor, the way you, the speed you walk and the like way you hold yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I first got to Taiwan, everyone would speak to me in sort of broken English. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about you go into 7-Eleven and they'll try and speak to you in English, but they don't necessarily have good English. Right. And so I had a policy of if my if my Chinese is better than your English, we're going to speak Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was often the case. And, but but years, 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 years down the line, um, I mean, I was there for six and a half years, uh, people started to be more open to talking to me in Chinese the first time they saw me, mm-hmm. which is kind of it. Because it's not like I looked less Western. Mm-hmm. I didn't start to look more Taiwanese. But uh, and and for the record, I, I am not a heritage speaker. I have no Chinese, no not even any Asian heritage. Mm-hmm. Totally. European. Um, and people started kind of treating me differently, which was interesting. Yeah. And and uh, recently, sometime last year, I went back on business to Taiwan after uh, uh, getting a job in California, 
and um, people were back into speaking English with me. And I thought that was very interesting because I guess I now dress more like a Californian or I walk like a Californian. I'm not really sure what it is. You had lost your mojo. Um, yeah, I guess I guess I'm a little bit less Taiwanese now than I used to be. <laughs> Now, now you mentioned that at one point you were working in a in a news organization. So that was run by Taiwanese. Yes, it's a local uh, news agency. So, uh, was there any difference in the culture of working in in a Taiwanese-run company versus a Western-run one? Let me tell. You, let me put it this way: If I had not gone to Taiwan immediately after college and started working there before I had any real world work experience, uh-huh. I would not have stayed because Taiwanese working environments can be very difficult to deal with. Uh-huh. But but you made it through there. I did make it through. Um, and like I said, I think it's because I didn't know that there was anything better. So uh, one, one common thing in Taiwanese work environments is uh, very, very limited vacation days. Um, so in each of the jobs, every single job I had in Taiwan, the policy was zero vacation days your first year. Hmm. Zero. I guess you could take unpaid vacation, but hmm. obviously you're not going to want to take two weeks of unpaid vacation. And this is normal across many different industries and many different um, organizations. It doesn't matter if the company is headquartered in Canada or headquartered in South Africa or headquartered in Taiwan. This is kind of just the way of doing business in Taiwan. Hmm. Uh, then there are also, also long hours, limited overtime pay, and and the 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 distinct feeling that any organization you walk into is understaffed. And I don't know if that's really the case, but it's definitely a feeling that exists. You always feel like three people are doing five people's jobs. Hmm. Okay. So it was constantly busy there, like they always had work for you to do. Yeah. There's a, well, no, that's the thing. I mean, um. I wouldn't say that. The news, keep in mind, I was working in news, and news is a funny industry because when nothing is going on, there's not all that much to do. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we would just be sitting around waiting for the world to happen. Um, and I don't know if other how other people are doing it, but I felt like sometimes time could have been managed more efficiently because we often were sitting there with nothing to do, and then the next moment we'd have a zillion things to do mm-hmm. and have to stay late. And it wasn't always just because some, a plane crashed or an election happened. Sometimes it was just kind of poor planning. Now, if you had a suggestion for some way they could run this better, would they be receptive to that? <laughs> I would say um, probably not. Uh, so I there is definitely an aspect of being the the one or one of five westerners in a taiwanese company in that um let's not let's not even talk about the i mean there's there's obviously a physical distinction you can identify people pretty accurately on whether or not they've actually grew up in taiwan Mm -hmm. but that aside there's just ideological differences in what a work environment should be and what should be expected out of the worker and it is inevitable that there are going to be clashes Mm -hmm. all the time there are clashes on everything there are clashes from pay raises to vacation days to uh, what exactly we're supposed to be doing on the job. And um, I think that that's just the case in any kind of cross-cultural work environment, and you just have to be ready to accept it. My philosophy was I'm in Taiwan, um, and 
I, you know, I, I, I had a, a visa that allowed me to work. I had a work permit. And so I was going to play along with the rules unless I found them really to be something that impeded on my own rights. Hmm. Um, so I didn't, I didn't raise too many, uh, complaints about stuff like that. Hmm. Um, and I know that the few times I did, they kind of brushed it off and were like, you know, well, that's just our, that's our policy. And if you don't like it, you are welcome to find other employment if that is preferable to you. And it, it wasn't said in a aggressive or confrontational way. It was just, we are not changing that. Mm -hmm. So all your interactions with the people around you were all in Chinese? Mm, let's say about 90%. Yeah. Okay. So that was also good for your Chinese. Uh, yes, it was. And it was, it made it to be a very fun place to work, actually. Um, but let me give a warning to anybody who's very intent on learning Chinese. Watch your English or whatever your native language might be. Don't let it, um, devolve while your Chinese improves. Because definitely there was a period of time after I'd been in Taiwan a while where I actually kind of picked up a Chinese accent in English. <laughs> um, and so I would say things like, instead of saying, People who live in Taipei, I would say Taipei people, people <laughs> like with an O on the end, uh -huh. and I didn't realize I was doing that hmm. until someone until I visited home and someone pointed it out to me. So you have to, in addition to learning your your uh, your target language Chinese, you also have to keep an eye on your native language to make sure that it doesn't start to go bad. Yeah, I've noticed with the with a few like foreign friends who live in Taiwan, like when they speak to me. They speak in a very simple way, like they're talking to a child, because that's just how they're used to talking here. Yes, especially if you teach English, it, it becomes particularly troublesome, because that is the only English that you use in your job. Hmm. You only talk to children. And so when you have to do something that is like more adults, it, it's very difficult to sort of go back into that mode. Um, so it's really great to throw yourself into Chinese and try and absorb it all, but don't lose yourself hmm. all right that's interesting so when you completed your your translation uh, degree so then what did you do after that um that's when i was working in news and i was uh while i was working and then after i was working uh, sorry while i was in school and then after i was in school i worked for about four years before i decided that i'm comfortable where my chinese is for now and i can continue to improve it through um, sort of more passive means like uh, reading mm -hmm. and watching movies, TV. Um, and I decided to pursue other opportunities back home. Okay. So, uh, so then you went back to California. Yes. And I started working at a uh, Taiwan owned company in California. So it was good because I got the perks of working in the U S um, mm -hmm. including, uh, you know, reasonable times of getting off work and knowing whether or not I would get off work on time. Hmm. That was, that was very exciting when that happened. Um, and since it was time when he's owned, I actually got to use my Chinese quite a lot. Um, I would translate when talking to affiliates anywhere else in the world. Um, we had a ton of affiliates in China and Taiwan. And so, um, that was really nice. And by working in news and by pushing my Chinese up as high as I could, I got a nice opportunity to sort of, uh, use it in the business world, which is something I think a lot of people want to do, hmm. but it's very difficult to actually get to a place where you can. Hmm. 
So in, in your current role, you're dealing with, with people in China and people in Taiwan. Do you communicate with both sides like exactly the same way or are there little differences with how you would talk to someone in China? I guess there's the, there's the difference in script, right? Traditional and simplified. So do you flip back and forth between all that? Um, that's only, yeah, but that's only for when you're writing, of course. Mm -hmm. And, um, my boss actually had a very strict policy of English only in emails, unless people didn't understand and then Chinese was acceptable. But he was working very hard to make it, um, I think inclusive for non-Chinese speaking people in the company. Okay. Uh, because, you know, most people in, Taiwan and China who are doing international business have pretty okay English. Hmm. At the very least, they can probably read and respond to an email. Um, but then we conducted our meetings themselves in Chinese. And so uh, I would say there wasn't much of a difference. I kind of just expressed myself the way I feel naturally, which is with something of a Taiwanese accent. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess I subconsciously, when I talk to Chinese, mainland Chinese people, I tend to sort of take on a little bit more of a you know, we'd call like a Belgian hmm. accent where you jinsha. Right. But I wouldn't go so far as throwing in the Beijing style. Er. <laughs> no, I hate er <laughs> to me, that's very um, affected and not genuine. Okay. That's not the way that I actually speak Chinese. So to me, it would be very strange. Right. All right. Um, so now it, in your, your personal life, uh, are you married? Yes, I have a Taiwanese wife. Okay, so is there anything... Uh, so she was brought up in Taiwan? Yes, and actually up until, let's say, November, mm -hmm. she really spoke basically no English. Oh, okay, so all your communication with her was in Chinese. Yes, and, and people... I actually said that to somebody yesterday, and he said, ah, that's why your Chinese is good. And no, not really... <laughs> Um, it's, she's been a very valuable resource in that she has been extraordinarily patient. Hmm. And anytime I have a simple question, she's very happy to answer it. But her background is chemistry, not, hmm. not, not, not language. And so she hasn't really had a Chinese language, um, like curriculum since high school. Okay. And so she's obviously, her Chinese is fine, but she doesn't really think about that extra level. Like we're going back to what I said about the car. She knows that how a car works. If mm. the car is Chinese, she knows you press the gas pedal to make it go, but she doesn't know why. Right. And so if I said, why is it like that? She would just say, I don't know. Right. So helpful. Yes. But, um, not the reason that my Chinese is good. No. Right. So, uh, thank you. I appreciate uh, all the insights you gave us on your journey. And uh, I'll share any comments that people may have about this with you. Sure, thank you.